So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Dr. Dave, you guys pray with me, please? Lord, you said in your word that it is the spirit that gives life, that the flesh profits nothing. And Father, I just want to echo what Katie prayed, that this morning I would not speak from my flesh, that you would speak through me, Lord, and that everything I say would be to your glory and for the furthering of your kingdom. I ask it, Father, in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, as you can see, uh, Pastor Mark is uh, still in quarantine. He should uh, be returning next Sunday. Um, And uh, I want to begin this morning kind of on a a, a light-hearted note, uh, poking a little bit of fun at myself and giving you full permission to laugh. Uh, and giving my wife a chance who does not know what I'm going to say to go, I don't know him. <laughs> so it's no secret that Sherry and I do not have the same taste in movies. Um, when people ask me what kind of movies I like to watch, um, I like to say to them, you know, I like the classics. You know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> the Princess Bride. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, um, movies like that, um, National Lampoon's Vacation, but that's my kind of movie, uh, what I would call silly, goofy humor, although Sherry uses a much stronger word than that. <laughs> um, but Sherry likes the real classics. I mean, she really enjoys uh, the genuine classics, and I have to say that I guess I'm just kind of uncultured. I have never seen uh, Gone with the Wind. I have never seen The Wizard of Oz. I have never seen um, It's a Wonderful Life. I've never seen Cheaper by the Dozen. And and any other of the classic movies, uh, I just haven't seen them. But but she just loves them. She just eats them up. Um, I was a bit concerned uh, one time that she had uh, joined some kind of a a secret society because she kind of disappeared for a while and uh, the only thing I knew about this is that they met someplace called the downtown Abbey and uh, but uh, it, it eventually uh, you know she eventually renounced her membership there <laughs> and is back with me uh, but uh, I say all that to say that um, because she watches those kind of movies, I do get some exposure to them, and, and I do see bits and pieces of them. And um, as I have kind of been exposed to movies from the 40s, and then the 50s, and then the 60s and 70s, etc., etc., 
I've noticed a trend in, in, in movies, and you probably would bear witness to this, and it is not, in my opinion, a good one. And that is to say that the average age of the hero or the heroine in these movies has been decreasing over the years. If you were to watch movies from, say, the, the 40s, you would see that um, the, the, the patriarch of the family was uh, the hero, if you will. Uh, he was looked up to, or, or the matriarch of the family. They were looked up to and, and um, revered, uh, not, not worshipped, but, but, but they were looked up to. And, and as you begin to follow the, uh, the progression of movies through the years, you will see that the average age of the heroine or, or the, the hero has gradually been decreasing. And from what I see today, I don't watch a lot of movies, but it looks to me like that, that today the sweet spot, the pinnacle, the peak of a person's career in Hollywood is about 25 to 35, somewhere in that age range. Now, obviously there are exceptions, but generally speaking... We have reached a place where we almost have an obsession with youthfulness. And we no longer value age, and particularly the wisdom of age. And so this morning I want to talk to you about, about this, this trend and what it means for us uh, in the church. Um, you probably, uh, additional proof of this is if you uh, pay attention to advertising. Um, we have a DVR, so we rarely see commercials anymore. But if you do, you will see that it is mostly the young that are uh, featured in advertising. Uh, there are, of course, exceptions. Folks like me, uh, folks my age, we see lots of pharmaceutical commercials and medical care commercials. But the young are pretty much targeted uh, in advertising. Um, I read a story, true story. Uh, there was a man who was an engineer, and he worked for a very well-known technology company. Probably half of you in this room have one of their products in your pocket. Their logo is a piece of fruit with a bite taken out of it. And this man worked as an engineer for this company, and, after, uh, and he worked on one of their flagship products. And after many years, uh, he decided to retire. And so he did. And Six months to a year later, uh, he, you know, kind of got bored with having nothing to do. And he thought to himself, I think I'm going to get a job. So he thought, what can I do? And, and, and thought to himself, you know what? My, my previous employer now owns a lot of their own stores in major metropolitan areas. That ought to be a great place for me to work. So he uh, got his resume together and made his application and submitted it to one of these stores. And he was called in for an interview. And uh, so he, he went in, and uh, he was applying for a position. They have something called the Genius Bar. And so he was applying for a position there, and uh, he was interviewed by three of the employees at this store. And it went really well, and he felt really good about it. And they thanked him for coming in and said, we'll be in touch. Well, as he was leaving the store, apparently they thought he was out of earshot, but he wasn't. Maybe thought, they thought his hearing had gone. But he overheard one of these employees say to the other, Man, he is exactly what we want. It's just too bad he's not young. And he realized at that moment how much value this company placed in projecting uh, a, a persona of youthfulness. Even though he was everything they wanted, he wasn't young. 
Now, of course, he had a winnable discrimination lawsuit in his hand, but he just decided to let it go. Um, another example of this uh, from my own life, but rather than me being the victim, I was the perpetrator. Sherry and I took a vacation to California several years ago, and we went to a very well-known national forest. We went to this forest, and we were looking at the, the big uh, map, and we were trying to figure out how to get a certain place, and we couldn't figure out how to get there. And Sherry said, you need to ask somebody. And at that moment, there was a, a man who worked for this forest who was walking by in one of those, uh, you know, the vests that they wear that had a little logo on it and everything. And he had probably 15 to 20 years on me. And I said, thankfully under my breath, oh, he's not going to know anything. He, he's just kind of working here. Well, we couldn't find where we needed to go, so we ended up going into the visitor center. <laughs> there he was behind the counter. And I walk up to him, and I ask him for directions. And out of his mouth flowed the most beautiful, precise, accurate description of directions about where we needed to go. And I felt about this tall. That was me. I talked to a man a couple of years ago who worked for a very well-known um, pharmaceutical store. We have some in our city here. And uh, he was a manager, and uh, we were just having a conversation. And he was telling me about an issue they have in all of their stores with shoplifting. And so I asked him, I said, well, what is the most commonly stolen item from your stores? And he didn't even have to think. He said, oh, there's no contest. He said, the most common item is up here. The next one's not even close. Anybody want to take a guess what it is? Cosmetics. The most commonly stolen item is cosmetics. What is that? Because what are they for? To make you look young. To make you look better. To make you look more attractive. No contest. I did read um, a couple of months ago that there was even uh, one of the states in the United States has been thinking about lowering the voting age to 16 from 18. That should frighten you. Um, and it's not just that we have an obsession with youthfulness, but we also despise old age. And those two go hand in hand together. And so, as I was thinking about this, I decided to coin a term for it. It's only mildly humorous. Um, and this term is euthanasia. Y-O-U-T-H-E-N-A-S-I-A. -E David Burke, there's the title of the sermon. Euthanasia. Injury or a slow death by an obsession with youthfulness. And so I want to talk to you this morning uh, about um, the, this sin... Uh, and, and its impact on us and what we can do about it. Um, now, I'm going to do something here that's going to be a little painful, um, and I'm going to belabor this, but I want to ask you to stay with me. I'll, I'll make it as short as possible. If you are here, uh, well, you're here, if you are in your 20s, I want you to raise your hand if you would say that you believe that having, uh, or you see that having reached your 20s, and looking back on your teenage years, you have acquired more wisdom than you had when you were a teenager. Raise your hand if you, if you believe that. If you're in your 20s, come on, raise them fully high. Okay, great. Same question for you that are in your 30s. 
Would you say that you have more, acquired more wisdom having reached your 30s than when you were in your 20s? Yes. How about you in your 40s? Would you say that having reached your 40s, you have acquired more wisdom than when you were in your 30s? All right, I'm going to just lump the rest of them together. This is my, this is, this is, this is my group. If you are in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s, or beyond, and the same thing is true for you, raise your hand. So what I'm seeing is, is that everyone in this room agrees that there is a life wisdom that you acquire through no other means by just simply living. Amen? And yet our society resents that, does not like that. Um, as Pastor Dave said a minute ago, we uh, have uh, just passed through some national elections. And the dust hasn't all settled, but it eventually will. And uh, I was thinking about our national government. Uh, as, as you well know, it's, uh, our, the founders of our nation divided our national government into three branches. There's the judicial, there's the executive, and there's this legislative branch. And we just got finished voting on uh, the executive branch, which is the president and the vice president. But we also got done uh, just voting for um, the legislative branch, that is Congress. And in their wisdom, the founders of our nation divided our Congress into two chambers. Um, And you probably were taught, as I was, that uh, the House of Representatives, uh, we, we are apportioned representatives based upon the population of our state. So the large states like California, Texas, New York, we have lots of folks in the House of Representatives. Whereas the less populous states like Wyoming and Alaska have fewer representatives. Uh, and, and proportionally, each state is represented by their population. And there's approx- uh, the exact number escapes me, but there's approximately 450 members of the House of Representatives. And then there's the Senate. Now, you probably were taught, as I was, uh, and it is true, uh, that over in the Senate, every state, no matter how populated they are, gets exactly two senators. So California, the largest state, has two senators. And whichever one of the states is the least populous, I'll just pick Wyoming, also has two senators. And we were taught that uh, the rationale or the reasoning for that is to uh, keep the big states from bullying the less populous states. So in the House, we are represented by population, but in the Senate, everybody gets the same amount of votes. That is true. But in my government classes, that was the end of it. Nothing else was said. And there's so much more. Think about this. To be a member of the House of Representatives, um, you have to have attained to the age of 25. And there actually, I read, was a man uh, who was elected at the age of 25 in this last round. I don't know which state it was. But to be a senator, you must have attained to the age of 30. To be a member of the House of Representatives, you must have been a citizen of the United States for a minimum of seven years. To be a senator, you have to have been a a citizen of the U.S. for nine years. As a representative, you serve for two years. As a senator, you serve for six years. The entire House of Representatives is up for re-election every two years. 
only one-third of the senators are up for a re-election every two years. Two-thirds of them are not. And finally, at, in the House, um, and we just re-elected our rep um, from our district, uh, as, a, as a member of the House, your, your concern is uh, your district. You are there to represent our interest right here where we live. You certainly care about the Gulf Coast, but you don't represent them. You represent our area here. Whereas both of our senators are elected at large. The entire state votes for our senators. Now hopefully you are uh, seeing a, a pattern here. That the framers of our nation crafted the Senate to be those folks who have experienced a lot of life. They are older and wiser, and they're there to think more broadly. They are to, to, to look back on the many decades of life that they have lived and to be thinking forwards about what kind of impact is this decision that I'm about to make going to have on my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Whereas the house is thinking about the immediacy of, of, of the short term. What is it that we need in the short term? And there's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, that's important. But the senators are thinking about the big picture. They're thinking about the entire state. They have a, a, amassed more wisdom from living than the representatives have. And so I, I credit... Uh, the founders of our nation, uh, for what they did. That, this is why the most weighty decisions rest on the Senate and not the House. For example, the House can bring charges of impeachment, articles of impeachment against the President, but it is the Senators who try them. Furthermore, it is the Senate, not the House, that confirms um, the, the judiciary. Uh, not only in the federal courts, but also in uh, the Supreme Court. Lifetime appointments. They are thinking long term. There is a wisdom that comes with age. Now, I want to dig into the scriptures now um, and, and, and explore this topic even more. And I want to begin by saying this. God uses old men and women. In Genesis, uh, we see Noah. Uh, and, and if you look in Genesis, you know that prior to the flood, the lifespan of the, uh, of the human race was far longer than it is today. Uh, approximately a factor of ten. Um, and uh, when you see those long ages, if it kind of causes you to have a little bit of a train wreck in your mind, just kind of do with them what we do with our pets. You know, we have dog ears. Well, just divide by ten to kind of get an idea. Um, Noah was 600 years old when God told him to build the ark. Divide by 10, he still would be 60 in our years. I mean, two-thirds of his life is behind him before God ever talked to him about building the ark. He lived another 350 years before he died. That's equivalent of 95 in today's years. And then there's uh, Abraham and Sarah. Um, the scriptures say that uh, God spoke to Abraham and he contemplated his own body as good as dead. We would say he had one foot in the grave and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And God said, ain't no thing. I can take care of it. And, I, and you're going to have a son. You're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham in faith believed 
as an old man and Sarah as an old woman. She gave birth to Isaac. Then there was Moses. Uh, Moses lived in Egypt for uh, 40 years uh, before he uh, killed a man and fled. And it was another 40 years before God spoke to him to send him back to Egypt to free his people. Um, I heard it said that it took God 40 years to get Moses out of Egypt. And then it took another 40 years for God to get Egypt out of Moses. And he led the people out, led them to the cusp of the promised land, and they rebelled against God, and they were sentenced to wander in the wilderness for 40 more years. And God spent the next 40 years preparing Moses to step into eternity and to meet Jesus, his Lord. Elisha, uh, the successor to Elijah, uh, the scriptures seem to indicate that he was old. The scriptures describe him as being bald, which is, uh, of course, generally a characteristic of the aged. We're going to actually talk about that a little bit later. But he was an old man when uh, Elijah's mantle fell upon him and he had asked God for a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. Not only does God use the aged, he honors the aged. Um, in uh, 1 Chronicles 29 verse 28, the scriptures tell us about uh, the passing of David, King David. And it says, and then he died at a good old age full of days, full of riches, and full of honor. Furthermore, in Acts 13, verse 36, it speaks of David. And this is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. It says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. That is so amazing to me because it means I don't have to worry about serving God's purpose in a future generation. I don't have to worry about living your life. I just have to serve God's purpose for me and my generation now. Um, There was, uh, in Luke chapter 2, Luke tells us about uh, when Jesus was a baby and he was uh, taken to the the synagogue uh, to be dedicated. And... uh, It says, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. I said synagogue, but I meant simple. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Sibion. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God. He said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of the peoples a light for the revelation to, of the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what he had said, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon was saying, Lord, you can let this old man go now. I've seen your salvation. I'm ready. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84 She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him of all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The Lord honors the aged. So, what are we to do about this problem, about this sin? Well, I want to give you some warnings some advice, and some commands. First of all, some warnings. For you that are young, um, if you'll recall um, that Solomon was the third king of Israel. Saul failed. David, a man after God's own heart. And then Solomon, his son. So when when Solomon passed, uh, the kingdom was uh, given to his son, Rehoboam. Uh, But Rehoboam had some competition. There was a man named Jeroboam uh, who had served under Solomon. He had fled to Egypt because of the circumstances. And then he returned. So Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is poised to take the kingdom. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him the king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke very heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, Come back to me again in three days. So the people went away. And King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be good to this people, and please them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel of the old men. And he took counsel from the young men who had grown up with him, and stood before him, And he said to them, What do you advise me that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke of your father. And the young men who had grown up with him said, This is what you will say to the people. My little finger is thicker than my father's thigh. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. 
So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said. And the king answered them harshly. And forsaking the counsel of the old men, King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For it was a turn of affairs brought about by God, that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he spoke to Ahijah, the Shelanite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And listen to this. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered, What portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Each of you to your own tents, O Israel. Now look to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. What that means in plain English is that the kingdom, which had previously been unified, was split in two, and it was never unified again. The ten northern tribes rebelled against the two southern tribes and split off and became their own nation. All because he listened to the counsel of the young men rather than the counsel of the old. For you who are young, Ecclesiastes 11.9, King Solomon says this to you. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. But remember this. God is going to bring you into judgment for all these things. In 2 Kings 2, uh, there was the account, I said we were going to talk about Elisha. There was the account of Elisha where he was headed to Bethel. Um, And uh, as he was traveling on the way, uh, the scriptures say that some young men, some young boys came out and began to taunt him, to jeer at him and say, Go up, you old bald head. Go up, you old bald head. And Elisha turned around and the scriptures say that he looked at them and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and ripped open 42 of the boys. Proverbs 23:25. Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Those are the warnings. Now here's advice. For you that are young, Psalm 119.9, you should know this one by heart. I bet the youth group has talked about this scripture many times. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. How can you youngsters keep your way pure? By keeping it according to the word of the Lord. Now, A word of caution to you that are aged. To those of you that are in my category. Just simply being old does not equate to wisdom. You could be old. You could be an old fool. Your life should exude the wisdom that your age says you have. In Ecclesiastes 4.13, Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived, says... Better is a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king 
who no longer knows how to take advice. Those of you that are old and feel that you have a lot of advice to give, do you still seek advice? Do you still take advice? Do you still seek counsel? The older you are, the more counsel you should seek. Think about the last time that you were, you were with a group of folks and uh, after you uh, ha- have had conversation with them and, and the group is broken up and you've left, ask yourself, did I give more advice than I sought? And now back to the young again. In Luke chapter 2, there's the account of when Jesus was 12 years old and his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast. And the scriptures say that when Jesus was 12 years old, um, he went with them. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they couldn't find him, they turned around and went back to Jerusalem, searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand what he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. So those of you that are young, let me ask you this. In those times when you feel like that that your opinion doesn't count as much as you think it should, when you don't feel like you're treated as, as much of an adult as you imagine yourself to be, If you were to go missing for three days and your parents were to come looking for you, would they find you up here? Sitting at Pastor Mark's feet, listening to him and asking questions? Or would they find you where you shouldn't be? And furthermore, if anyone was ever a prodigy, it was Jesus. Here was God himself in the form of a 12-year-old boy, and he willingly and gladly (coughs) surrendered and submitted and was in subjection to his earthly parents as to his father, the Lord. Can you say that for yourself? And finally, the commands. In the family, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, the scriptures say, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. For this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that your life may be long on the earth. 1 Timothy 5, 1, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as a father. In the church, um, if you read through the book of Acts, 
as well as the epistles. You will see that uh, the church is to be governed by elders. Uh, That word uh, can be interchanged with shepherds and pastors and overseers. But it's the word elders, implying age. And um, elders must have far more qualifications than just being old. But it is generally the aged, the old, who will have the wisdom. In Acts 14, verse 23, it says, And when they had appointed elders... For them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In Titus uh, chapter 1 verse 5, um, Paul says to Titus, Here's the reason I left you at Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city, just as I directed you. In Titus... I've been speaking mostly up to this point to the, to the men, but I want to take a moment and address you ladies. In Titus uh, chapter 2, Paul says, but as for Titus still, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men, you older men, that's me and whoever, you are to be sober-minded. You are to be dignified. You are to be self-controlled. You are to be sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness. And now, you older women, likewise, you are to be reverent. Reverent in your behavior. Not a slanderer. Not enslaved to much wine. You are to teach what is good. And here it is. And so train the young women. You older women are to train the young women. And the very first thing on the list is to train the young women to love their husbands. Now you, as a young woman, may bristle at that and say, well, if there's anything I know how to do, it's how to love my husband. You should talk to some of the older women who have lived with a man far many more years than you and find out if you really know how to love your husband. You older women are to train the young women to love their children. Again, you may think, I know how to love my children. You should talk to someone. You are to train the younger women to be self-controlled which implies that you are. You are to train the younger women to be pure. You are to train the younger women to work at home. That doesn't mean you can't have a job out there. It just means that your home is the nucleus and the core of your responsibilities. You are to care for your family first and then whatever else. You older women are to train the younger women to be kind. And you older women are to train the younger women to be submissive to their own husbands. And here's the goal. So that the word of God may not be reviled. In conclusion, I'm going to read uh, two scriptures. Pastor David uh, read Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 16. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints with the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. We may no longer be young, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, carried about by human cunning, carried about by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, and what it, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up, itself up in love. Euthanasia. Here's the cure. Here's the remedy. When I was a child... I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Because I was one. But when I became a man or a woman, I am no longer a child. I gave up childish things. Remember this. Our God is the ancient of days. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your word would penetrate our hearts, that you will convict where conviction is needed, that you will reprove where reproof is needed, that you will encourage where encouragement is needed, you will teach where teaching is needed. By your spirit, you will train where training is needed. Father, I pray that all of us will grow up to the full measure of the stature of Jesus Christ, your son, the head of the church. Lord, we put away childish things. For your glory, we pray this morning. Amen. If you would stand, please. We're now going to take communion together. The scriptures say that on the night in which he was betrayed, after supper, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, This is my body broken for you. Take it and eat of it, each one of you, in remembrance of me. When you're ready, after taking a few moments with the Lord, take the bread as a symbol of our individual relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood the blood of the new covenant shed for you. Take and drink of it, all of you. Let's take the cup together as a symbol of our corporate relationship with Jesus Christ. Now if you would place your hands in a receiving position, I want to pronounce the benediction. Make it your own. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. 
I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child because I was one. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're dismissed.